Blog Talk Radio. Well, it may not be it may not be from uh, outside the ballpark like last week in San Francisco, and it's also about 40 degrees uh, less. <laughs> uh, the temperature is about 40 degrees less, but uh, you know the streets of New York will have to suffice. My name is Stan Maxwell, and welcome to the Bedford Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And today I am uh, joined by one of my favorite writers. He uh, has a blog titled Faith and Fear and Flushing. He's been writing, uh, he wrote a book of the same name. Uh, and he's also written a couple of The Happiest Recaps, which detail, go into detail about the Mets uh, games that have gone out throughout their history. And that is Greg Prince. Greg, thank you very much for joining me today. Oh, glad to be here, Sam. Well, let's get right into it. Um, Let's uh, discuss your, your New York roots and your New York baseball roots. Okay, well, I am a lifelong New Yorker, I guess technically a lifelong Long Islander. Uh, the Mets and I are roughly the same age. They're about, uh, oh, I don't know, eight or nine months older. But um, I took to the Mets at uh, the age of six. Uh, which happened to be 1969, which was a very fortuitous time to become a Mets fan, and uh, stuck with them ever since. Yeah, they and they spoiled you that year. The, yeah, well, I have a feeling there was something up. You know, they kept talking about how they were the, the amazing Mets and the miracle Mets, so I figured this doesn't happen every year. And sure enough, it doesn't happen every year, and I learned that at a young age. But, uh, you know, once into the Mets and once into baseball, I was hooked for a while. Right. And I read all I could, and not just about what was going on in baseball currently, but what was going on or what had gone on historically, which led me to uh, a day in 1972. So by then I was nine, and uh, I got a copy of Baseball Digest. And there was a story in there about uh, the history of the battle for New York, which was news to me. And it was uh, about uh, the, the decades of the Giants and the Yankees uh, heading up to about the time the, you know, the Giants left and the, Met, the Mets came in and took over for them. Uh, at least that's sort of how it was framed. And I think I was, I was just sort of mesmerized by the idea that there was this other team called New York that wore a very similar NY on their caps. They played in the National League. And uh, as it turned out, uh, they, they were where Willie Mays was from, and, and who should be becoming a Met at that moment, uh, traded from the San Francisco Giants, but Willie Mays. And it, it all made sense to me all at once. And I think that, that that's where I sort of uh, f- fell into the idea that uh, not only was I a Mets fan, but uh, on some spiritual level, I uh, had, a, had a real connection to the New York Giants. I, I, you put it perfectly, uh, perfectly to me when we were talking about it off the air uh, about how Tiger fans didn't have it, uh, don't have that choice in terms of having a grandfather team, and that the Mets are really the only one. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I guess in some other cities, it, it you know, where you know, if the uh, you know, if you were growing up a Royals fan, maybe you took to the Kansas City A's, or you know, maybe uh, you you have some sort of simpatico with the St. Louis Browns if you're a Cardinals fan. But you know, though those teams don't quite have that you know lineage. I mean, though the Mets are unique in that they are you know the the apotheosis of two 
great traditions, the Dodger tradition and the Giant tradition. And um, you know, I, I thought of the, the, the Tiger example because somebody wrote wrote a book uh, about the last year of Tiger Stadium, a, a great place to see a game in its day. And he talked about, oh, you know, I was a Tiger. I'm a Tigers fan. I grew up this way. My father was. My grandfather was. And you know, if, if you're a Mets fan of my age, which at the moment is 51, you know, you're if somebody became a Mets fan in your family. Ahead of you, it's because they grew up most likely <laughs> with the Giants or Dodgers, or you know they grew up doing something else with their lives and and decided some somewhere in in the 1960s to become a Mets fan, which is fine, you know. I mean, it's uh, never never too late to become a Mets fan. Okay, and, and now, right? of course, you know, it, now of course it, uh, it it kind of blows my mind a little bit when I you know talk to younger Mets fans who talk about you know. Oh, I you know I got it from my father. I got it from my grandfather because now the Mets have been around long enough for that to happen. But you know, to, to my mind, you know, the Mets are sort of <laughs> still sort of uh, I don't want to say they're still an expansion team, but you know, they're 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 sort of the next wave after the Giants and Dodgers. So um, you know that, that that expression I use, grandfather team. Uh, there, there was an episode of All in the Family uh, wherein uh, Mike and Gloria Stivic. Uh, decided to adopt this older couple who I don't remember exactly how they came into the the, the story, but they said, well, well, you know, grandparents respectively had died, and they said, well, you know, you, you guys can be our adopted grandparents. And that's sort of how I feel about the Giants. So what are some of your favorite New York Giants moments and memories that you, you've uh, collected uh, retroactively? Well... You know, it's, it's, it's a different uh, vibe than asking, you know, what are some of your favorite Met memories? Because I can tell you, uh, you know, where I was and what I was doing. Everything here is a matter of reading or hearing about it. But, um, you know, I think one of the real influences on my Giants fandom, if you will, is a book called The Giants of the Polo Grounds, written in the late 80s by Noel Hind. And it really laid out the story of the 19th century and the early 20th century and how much the Giants meant in New York, how they, not the Yankees, uh, <laughs> invented baseball uh, in New York, both you know, for that, that, you know, when immigrants came to this country uh, and they wanted to feel like Americans, you know, and they took up with baseball, the team they were going to take up with was the Giants because that was who owned baseball, who invented baseball practically, and that you know was a sensation that lasted into the first part of the 20th century. Uh, you know, there was a pennant race in 1885 that, when in, in that book, that when you read about it, I, I thought I was like reliving 1985. Uh, the names had changed, but it, it, it felt a lot like the modern day Mets at, at the time, modern day in the 80s. So uh, you know, I, I like that idea that the the Giants were, you know, just so embedded into what New York was in the 19th century, the latter part of the 19th century and the early part of the 20th century. Then comes, you know, John McGraw comes along, Christine Mathewson comes along, these these great teams that, that win so many pennants and are robbed of one more pennant in 1908. Um, and, you know, the, the fact that that tradition holds strong when the Giants kind of fall on hard times after the 20s because, you know, they don't win pennants as frequently and, you know, there's a, a new kid in town uh, by way of the Yankees and by way of Babe Ruth and the sensation he caused and that you had a lot of people defect or just, you know, 
be attracted by the new shiny object, which was Babe Ruth. But the, the fact that uh, you know the next generation of Giant fans hangs in there, and they hang in there with Bill Terry and Mel Ott, and you know some success in the 30s, and you know really limited success to put it kindly in the 40s, and then this you know this this great renaissance in the 50s, uh, you know resulting in a world championship and another very memorable pennant, all in by now in the shadow of two teams because you know the Dodgers who were this sort of, you know, daffy joke of a team for, for way too many years. They became this powerhouse in their own right. And, you know, that, 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 that's what is interesting to me, is that that's sort of where the, the story always leaves off, because they were the last, the Dodgers were the last thing people remember, for the most part, about baseball in the 50s, National League, New York style. And the story, you know, became, oh, the good old Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, the, the same year I was reading that Baseball Digest article, the same year the Boys of Summer came out, and well, you know, the nice article in Baseball Digest, but the Boys of Summer is is, is a classic and and forever establishes the Dodgers as synonymous with that period and and synonymous with the idea that you know we here in New York are missing something, and the Giants just kind of became an afterthought. And I think when I put all of that together. Um, I, I felt as if, with, with no offense to the Dodgers, because I was technically born in Brooklyn, I never lived there, but you know, that's where I was born. And uh, because you know, my mother's from Brooklyn, and my parents had lived there for, uh, shortly before I was born. You know, I, I have nothing against the idea of the Dodgers, and it's a great legacy too. But you know, they didn't need me. <laughs> the Giants, in my mind, needed me. They needed people like me who who could make the connection from the Giants to the Mets and understand that it's, you know, all part except for except for a four year gap uh, from you know fifty eight through sixty one. So it's it's all, you know, a continuation of a great legacy and I don't think the Mets would be who the Mets are without both that, that Dodger and Giant lineage. Uh, did, did your parents ever talk about the Dodgers? Uh when, when you were growing up, uh, I, I know they weren't too into baseball, but did you ever hear anything from them about it? Only in kind of passing, vague terms, more along the lines of, oh, Brooklyn was a great place to grow up or a great place to live when we were first married, and the Dodgers were, were kind of part and parcel of that. And every now and then, you know, somebody would drop a name. You know, my mother would, would bring up Pistol Pete Reeser she, and uh, Junior Gilliam. Those are the two names are, I can remember her bringing up in no particular context. And uh, my father, who grew up in Queens, in Jackson Heights, uh, you know, he, he's... You know, tell me, I don't think I knew that he was any kind of a Dodgers fan until many years later. And, um, you know, he, he almost gave me the idea he was a Yankees fan because I think he just liked to tease me about how lousy the Mets were. But, um, you know, my father would, would, would mention a name like Frenchie Bordegaray, which I thought he was making up. <laughs> so he was a guy, you know, who played for the Dodgers during the war. And um, interestingly enough, I, I, I want to say it was Gary Cohn was telling a story about Ralph Kiner and Mad Ben Howie Rose. I, I, forgive me for not being clear on it, but, but one of them said... Uh, you know, one day Ralph was telling us about a player named Frenchie Bordegary, and we thought we were sneaking up. We had never heard it before. So I guess, you know, that, that, that's one of your, your, your classic Dodger names. But, you know, in, in a, you know, a general sense, you know, that they, they were not baseball fans for whatever reason. Well, I, I mean, my, you know, at, at the risk of sounding sexist, my, my mother was a girl and I guess had other things on her mind. And my father, I think, got turned off to baseball, he once told me, 
because uh, and, and you can blame the Yankees for this. His his father and uncle uh, dragged him to a Memorial Day doubleheader in 1945 at Yankee Stadium, where you know, it was like 80,000 people, some, some absurd uh, absurd number of fans. So he's crammed in there. It's it's hot as hell, and you know all, all there is to do is drink sarsaparilla. And I think he either got sick or felt sick or was just disgusted by the whole thing at the age of 16. <laughs> I've had enough of this, and uh, you know, I mean, he, he can he can talk about you know the, the day the Dodgers won the World Series, and he remembers you know being you know being around then, and uh, certainly one of those you know markers in time. Um, you know, they came back to baseball in the '80s uh, when the Mets started getting good, and we we shared that, and that's always something I'll cherish. But uh, ju- just uh, to finish the thought, you know, my, my mother died around in 1990, and once she died, my father seemed to just pull back from baseball altogether and, you know, professes no interest in it whatsoever. Every now and then, though, I'll, I'll hear a story, and it's kind of nice to know that, you know, that, that, that there is some sort of uh, direct familial uh, heritage here. But, um, you, know, so, you know, he wasn't any kind of a Giants fan, but he, I remember in, in high school, when I was in high school, the Mets were in one of their really, really bad phases. And uh, you know I'm I'm running around wearing a Mets jacket and not caring that they're a miserable team. And he said, "You you remind me of this guy I went you know to knew in high school. You know everybody was either a Dodger fan or a Yankee fan, and this was in Jackson Heights in Queens." It says, and he was like the one Giant fan. He was the one oddball, and that was his way of saying, "Well, you know, there you go." <laughs> you know, I think that was one of the other things that made me. Uh, cling to the Giants a little more tightly in, in the rearview mirror. I just sort of like the idea that, uh, you know, whoever that guy was, he didn't give up on them, and just like I wasn't giving up on the Mets circa 1981. Exactly. Circa the magic being back. Um, or I guess that was a year earlier, to get really specific. Yeah, well, the magic, well, that was the problem. The, ma- the magic came back in 1980 or so, they claimed, and I believed it. <laughs> and I, I, w- I was still running around in 1981, 1982, thinking, no, no, this is it's going to be fine. The magic is back. And then it took a little while after of that course. to actually get the magic back. Well, uh, um, it, it, you know, what, what you're mentioning about uh, how the Dodgers get all the love it's interesting in that regard because it's, it seems as if um, the Dodgers of old uh, and the, those 50s teams get all the love when it comes to the romancing of, of baseball. Um, but interestingly enough, it seems as if the, the Giants fan base here in New York uh, has lasted longer and clinged to their team longer than any Dodger fan. And I always attribute that to um, how offended all of Brooklyn uh, uh, seemed from you know from Walter O'Malley by Walter O'Malley, uh, and and so it's just it's interesting the way that that works. I, I think that there's something to that. I think the you know the, the when you talk to Giant fans, and I've as you know I've gotten to know Giants fans from from those days. I mean one one of the manifestations of my interest in all of this is that I started looking for other Giant fans, uh, if not necessarily, you know, my version of historical, but, you know, guys who were actually there, ladies who were actually there. And over the years, you know, I discovered various groups, and, you know, you're familiar with a couple of them. And, you know, if you've made it to the 2000s, 
as a New Yorker and you've been a Giants fan all this time, it's obvious you don't carry too much of a grudge or you're right. willing to look past, just as, as, as a lot of us Mets fans are willing to look past who owns the, the Mets. <laughs> These people are, are willing to look past, you know, whatever, they hold against Horace Stoneham and, and 3,000 miles. But, um, you know, I, I would say the landscape just kind of feels like it's shifted since I got into all of this because, you know, it's circa 2000 when, when I, you know, kind of, re- you know, there, there, there are a couple of events I could talk about or not. But, you know, kind of re- By all means. Re- well, well, you know, just to put it in perspective, I mean, again, the, the giant thing was kind of simmering in, in my mind, I guess, all these years. Uh, circa 2000, uh, I became very determined to go up to the polo grounds and explore. Um, it was just one of those things I'd always wanted to do, and you know, I had a uh, I had a, some time off, and uh, as did my wife on a hot August day, and I dragged her up there with me, and. Uh, we're on the train, and I open the Daily News, and what should be in the Daily News but a column by Vic Ziegel, who you know, had covered the Mets in the 60s and was a columnist and you know, later a sports editor. And what I probably didn't know until that moment was was this great Giants fan, but like an unreconstructed New York Giants fan who wanted nothing to do with the San Francisco team. And he decided, he picked that day that I was going up there to write about what was up there, <laughs> you know, that, that there's a plaque and uh, the kind of shape it was in, you know, signifying where home plate was in the Polo Grounds Towers. And I, I just found this rather spooky that on, on the day that I independently decided to go exploring my baseball heritage was the day that this, you know, guy who, who still held a candle in his own way for, for the New York Giants um, decided to write about it. So I think that, that that sort of spurred my enthusiasm. There was a new book out at the time about the Polo Grounds. Uh, you know, I found a group that was, uh, uh, you know, an offshoot of Saber that was discussing it. I found there was a giant historical society. I found, uh, you know, they had a luncheon to honor Bobby Thompson on the 50th anniversary of the shot heard around the world. So all of that was going on. So it wasn't, you know, it, it was nice to to learn that I was not alone. Uh, I guess that that's that's one thing. But you know, w- one of the themes of every and probably still to a certain degree. <laughs> One of the themes of every meeting and every encounter you had with anybody who loved the Giants, either because they had kept loving them for, for 60 years or because they inherited it from their, their father or grandfather or because they just read stuff, was uh, the Dodgers get all the, all the love, as you said. You know, and uh, Nobody talks about the Giants. Well, I, I think that's actually, that's actually shifted a, a good deal in the last few years, partly because of, of groups like the New York Giants Preservation Society and the uh, New York Baseball Giants Nostalgia Society and, you know, the, the willingness to, shall we say, emerge from the shadows and also the fact that the San Francisco Giants have won two World Series, which I don't think really would have mattered to Vic Ziegel because Vic Ziegel wrote about it in 2002 when they were when they were playing the Angels in the World Series and he said in so many words, like, screw those guys, they're not my Giants anymore. But mm-hmm. um, for a lot of these guys, and I guess this is what surprised me, is that the that there there is this you know I I've, I've met people who've stayed Dodger fans in New York but it is different there is an anger and why why would you want to have anything to do with it, with with the O'Malley's or the people who bought it from the O'Malley's or whatever I mean, obviously the O'Malley's are, are have departed the the Dodger ownership scene but the, I I think one of one of the um, 
factors in in forging the, that sort of connection for, for for Giants fans is the willingness, and I think it's unprecedented, of the San Francisco Giant organization to reach out to these guys, to reach out to their New York roots, to not to not you know to, to not be insecure about it. You know, you can very easily imagine an ownership or a marketing guy saying, oh, you know, we're, our fan base is in the San Francisco Bay Area or Northern California, and we don't want to offend anybody, and we certainly don't want to, you know, put out the teams that are in New York right now. But, you know, they, they handled both world championships in a very classy manner. They they brought their, as I'm, I'm sure some of your other guests have talked about, you know, they brought their trophies with them. They brought Willie Mays here. You know, I, I spoke to somebody who was a Giants fan, who became a Mets fan, and... He said to me, "You know why? Like uh, there were there, you know, why so many people uh, were, were main Giants fans that are becoming Mets fans right away because Willie Mays stayed on the Giants, and you know, right. why, would you, why right. would you not want to root for Willie Mays? And once Willie Mays uh, was was traded to the Mets, that sort of broke down the last barrier for for a lot of people, not not for everybody. And you know, there, there's there's no question that the you know the the, the Dodger per, Dodger fan persona of you know you know louder and crazier and daffier and whatever you know that that was sort of picked up on ironically in the polo grounds in 1962 and 63 by the Mets fans <laughs> and you know I think it was easier to make that connection and you had so many Dodgers who joined the Mets in 62 and 63 albeit getting their paychecks from from a old New York Giants fan Joan Payson. <laughs> The only so, one know, to it, vote. The only one to vote against it. Yeah, and it was a uh, you know. So, so to me, I mean, that's kind of a distillation of why why it's both uh, why why both teams matter in this story. But also, I, I think when you when you get you know, I, I mentioned before my my father's little observation that I reminded him of the guy from high school who stayed a Giants fan in the 1940s when they weren't going anywhere. You know, I I think when I think of the Dodger fan, yeah, you know, I I, I think of that that caricature that is painted. Of the uh, you know, uh, the, you, know well, you, you know all the stories you know they're they're crazy and they're wacky and all of that. So you know that is that that is definitely part of the Met heritage, but also the idea of to me to me the giant fan is somebody who sits there relatively quietly, but but not unaffected. It's more like stewing over just what what just went wrong or what might go wrong next. <laughs> And I think that's also part of that fan persona. And I think you put together sort of the the extroverted Dodger fan DNA and the introverted Giant fan DNA. I think you come up with the Mets fan. And well, speaking of which, fasc- used, I think it's a fascinating combination. You use the word insecure when when talking about uh, the heritage and the legacy. And if they had, the Giants haven't been. So, do you find that the Mets have been insecure over the years about? being basically an offspring of, of two teams that deserted the place. Well, sir, certainly in this era, certainly in the City Field era, uh, and I honestly don't, I cannot get a good handle or, or any kind of an answer, and I've asked people who work for the Mets. Um, I mean, everybody knows Fred Wilpon grew up a Dodgers fan, and, you know, that's that's all well and good, but, you know, twice, when Wilpon and Doubleday owned the team, ran the team anyway, um, 1985 and 1994, they had a promotion called, uh, I forget what it was called, but basically, you know, New York Heritage Cap Day. And you had your choice of a giant cap or a Dodger cap. In fact, in 1994, I dragged my wife with me to a Mets game because I wanted one of each. Because <laughs> you could only choose one. And that's, you know, that was under, at least partially under Fred Wilpon's purview. 
um, you know, that they always treated the two legacies as something that mattered to Mets fans. Uh, when, you, when you go back, whether, whether you watch the Mets yearbooks on SNY, as I know you have, or you actually read the Mets yearbooks, you know, the years that they came out, you see the spreads for old-timers day, and I used to go to those old-timers days. You'd see old Dodgers brought back and old Giants brought back, I mean, partially because there wasn't enough Mets history yet to um, you know, be bringing back nothing but Mets. And also, it was just a more expansive view in those days. I mean, you, you bring back great players from everywhere, and, and, and you enjoyed that, which is something they don't do anymore. In fact, they don't bring back Mets enough anymore, but that's another story. Um, I, you know, obviously, when they built City Field to make it look like a stone replica, at least from the outside of Ebbets Field, and then you d devote the rotunda, uh, which is an Ebbets Field feature, <laughs> to Jackie Robinson, who nobody will disagree is a great American, but you know, as as people never tire of pointing out, never played for the Mets. Um, you know, it's hard hey, not nor, to get that message. Nor the Giants, considering he uh, vetoed the, the yeah, well, trade, he, and <laughs> he yeah, was like, I can't wear the orange and black. What one of the. Uh, well, one of the most oft-searched-out uh, search uh, features we did on Faith and Fear, and it was just a small thing years ago, somebody gave me a, a card of Jackie Robinson in a Giants uniform, a Topps card, you know, that they did like cards that never were, with the idea that he was straight to the Giants, and they made up a card for him in, uh, you know, and, and, and I used the headline, like, this will blow Fred Wilpon's mind. <laughs> and um, pe people seem to enjoy uh, clicking on that to this day, like five years later, whenever it was, just because um, it sort of, you know, people just seem, I, th I think people who never really gave, gave a damn one way or the other about the, the, the historical impact of these teams is just sort of insulted at the mm -hmm. idea that the Mets, you know, can't get their history straight, let, let alone, you know, the, the, you know, let alone the Mets fans whose fathers and mothers and grandfathers and, mo and mothers were giant fans who said, you know what, you know, we're now Mets fans because the, that team is no longer here. So, um, yeah, the Mets are a very insecure team, and I think we, we, we know that. <laughs> and... You know the the Giants, the, the Giants organization. You know they they showed up with their trophy and they said, you know, in, on both occasions, you know, we consider ourselves, you know, you know, we we consider ourselves all of it, the the New York years, the San Francisco years, and we're thrilled to see you. And uh, you know, you you could probably you know find you know when the Cardinals won the World Series, let alone the Red Sox winning the World Series. I'm sure you could round up lots of those fans in New York just because it's New York and people come from right. elsewhere. But but this this you know really warmed the heart both of those. Both of those times, because this this was a a, a cap tip toward uh, you know where we came from, and it, it was you know to to, to use a, a phrase you might have heard in Goodfellas, it was the right thing to do. <laughs> right. It might be a combination in some ways of the fact that uh, well, you know everybody was pissed off of Walter O'Malley, and those Dodgers were prolific when they got to Los Angeles when it comes to world championships. San Francisco, that 2010 trophy was the first one since 1954. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, that, you know, thinking about that, that might play a role too. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, when, when you go back and look at attendance figures, when you go back and look at those highlight films we talked about, you know, you see big crowds for Met Dodger games in the 60s, and you see big crowds for Sandy Koufax, and it wasn't necessarily to root against Sandy Koufax, I and mean, there was probably some sense of, you know, because he, he was from Brooklyn, and he pitched in Brooklyn, albeit not, not, not that successfully and not that much, um, you know, there was probably still a sense of, of 
proprietorship in Dodger fans, you know, into the '60s, and you know, you combine that with the the, the nostalgia element uh, that that was, you know, institutionalized by the early '70s by you know Roger Kahn's great great book, and and so on. Um, you know, you, you kind of see where this thing was going the whole way, and you know, but. It doesn't take much, you know. Looking at my soapbox here, it doesn't take much for the for the for the Mets to uh, you know slap up a couple of pictures of Willie Mays. In a, in a, you know, I, I I'd written something somewhere along the way. You know, you have the, you know the Jackie Robinson rotunda. Why why not behind center field where you have all those food places? Put up a couple of you know banners of Willie Mays. One in the Mets uniform, one in the Giants uniform. Call it the you know plaque somewhere. Call it the Willie Mays Pavilion or something, and make people feel better. Yeah, you know, it's, you know, they have a couple of things in the, in the Mets Museum, uh, you know, nodding to the fact that they played in the Polo Grounds, which, by the way, is is not not insignificant in the story of the Mets. But uh, I, I guess it always comes back to the idea they sell all this Dodger stuff, you know, you know, at least some Dodger stuff in the Mets team store, and they sell nothing right. that says New York, you know, a lousy Giants cap. But I asked somebody about that, and and the answer I got was, well, there really isn't very much Giant stuff available. Which well, I, I've, you know, I, I've, yeah, I've asked the same thing because I think they're underutilizing that. I think they yeah. they could really take advantage uh, of the fact that somebody would most likely buy uh, a, an orange and, and black jersey uh, that says New York across the chest yeah. and and has twenty four and has twenty four on the back. Yeah, it doesn't have to say Giants on it. It could just say New York, just like the stuff. Well, if you if you look, says. I think I'm I'm fairly certain there is no Dodgers. Stuff. I think it all says either Brooklyn or yeah, or, or Brooklyn Jackie Robinson. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But yeah, I mean the the the, the wink is very heavy. I don't blame you know that they should be selling the Mets name. I understand that. And that's great. But you might as well like grab every piece of equity you can when you're the Mets. I mean, what, what I wished they had done when they built this museum was. You know, not just say here's the Mets Museum, but like say that this is the New York Mets and Nas- National League Baseball or what, hmm. you know, Exposition Center, whatever they want to call, it, and just like bring everything that wasn't the Yankees into it, including the Negro Leagues, including the semi pros. There's, you know, my father used to tell me stories about the, you know, as he called them, the Old Bushwicks, the team that played at huh. Dexter Park, that played, uh, you know, against the uh, played, played the House of David, and they played traveling Negro League teams or. Or you know, make it about uh, local high schools and colleges. Uh, the the Devils. I've never been there, but the Devils, the Prudential Center, do a thing where they they have, uh, you know, I think the, the pennants or logos or something for all high school hockey programs in New Jersey. I mean, the 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 Mets should be kind of, to my mind, should be trying to own everything that isn't explicitly Yankees in terms of New York <laughs> baseball, and they're very short sighted. <laughs> Yes, yes, they certainly are. And uh, let's go all the way back to 1962 to wrap it up in, in the transitional year. Uh, and just thinking about um, what we were talking about, the, the combination of the two fan bases and the combination of, of the personalities of the two teams. Uh, in 1962, they certainly kind of um, squared all of those daffiness years of the Dodgers. Uh, <laughs> multiplied yeah. that by 100 or so. Yeah, I mean, they certainly, you know, <laughs> gave the people who came to the polo grounds uh, raw material <laughs> from, from which to uh, to manufacture that kind of reaction. And you know, the, the funny thing is, when when you read about 
the uh, you know, the reaction to the Mets. I mean, the, the, they were concerned. That's why they had so many Dodgers on the team. You know, they were concerned about getting the old Dodger fans and the old Giant fans. And what they discovered was in the four years between the end of those teams and the beginning of the Mets was that there was, as, as they are known, the new breed. Uh, right. the, you know, younger people who kind of wanted their own thing. And it all, it all kind of came together, whether you know, the younger people of 1962 were aware that they, they were uh, sort of taking on the characteristics of, uh, of two previous fan bases. Um, yeah, so, you know, when the Mets moved to Shea Stadium, you know, some of that carried on. When you, when you read contemporary accounts, there, there was also the feeling that, that it was a little forced by the fans, that it was, you know, the, the great thing about 62 and 63 was that the reaction was spontaneous. And now here in, shall we say, 1964 and 65, the idea is like, well, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty crazy. We better act pretty crazy. But, you know, it was still, I think, from what I've been able to judge, you know, I certainly, you know, grew up with in, with, the, with the next wave of that, you know, in the uh, late '60s and early '70s. You know, it, it was still pretty organic, and you still had, you know, not not just Banner Day, but people bringing banners to the ballpark and people chanting "Let's go Mets" when they were down eight to two in the eighth inning, and only only you know half seriously meaning it <laughs> because uh, you know. If you love the Mets, you, you sort of understand that some nights you're not going to come back from eight to two. Well, once in a while but, you but, will. But then, exactly. But then you have uh, the one that I hear talked about, the two that I hear talked about the most uh, when it comes to Mets history and come from behinds uh, of that magnitude are, um, I think it's 1980, if I'm correct, and you can obviously yeah. speak to this better than I can, and obviously the uh, eight to one, uh, the, yeah. the comeback from down eight to one against the Braves with, uh, in 2000. Yeah, well, you know, you you live on those memories in the idea that well, maybe it'll be just like that. Well, the 1980 game, and ironically, it was against the Giants. And and believe me, when I'm watching this when I'm 17 years old, I wasn't sitting there ruminating about you know, John McGraw and Christy Matthews, and you know, they were the San Francisco Giants, and they were just another team the Mets were trying to beat. Then it was six nothing, and uh, fairly early in the game. It was six to two going to the ninth, and they uh, put some runners on, and it was two out, and they got to within six four. And Steve Henderson, um, <laughs> wonderfully lovable left fielder, who had kind of had the misfortune of joining the Mets as part of the Tom Seaver trade, uh, hits this. You know, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that. With that. Yeah, uh, well, well, Tom Seaver was born in Fresno, and I'm not going to go into that. But, uh, <laughs> Just, let's just say that by 1980, the year that they were telling us the magic is back, we were looking for any sign, and the, the Mets had been kind of bubbling up, you know, and, and had been making a habit of comebacks. But this was like off the charts. This was the we were down six nothing, we were down six two, it's six four two out and two on, and Steve Anderson hits a home run over the right field fence off Alan Ripley. It's seven to six, and for about 24 hours, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, Mesopotamia, as I like to call it, uh, when it was was off its rocker, and believing anything could happen at that point, the Mets had gone to within one game of 500, and you know would would never go anywhere that year. But that kept us going for years, <laughs> years I'd like to say. And you know the the 2000 game that you referenced was you know down eight one in the eighth inning, and uh, the Mets against the Braves, they they, they hated hated Braves. And you know walks and, and you know, I'm trying to remember if it was a hit by pitch, but however it happened, so it was eight to six, bases loaded, and Fonzie drives in two runs to tie, and Mike hits a three-run home run, and it's eleven to eight, and they're just you know 
that that game I was in the ballpark for. It wasn't that for the Steve Henderson game. And you know, just euphoria over overtakes everybody. And you know, games like that sort of in in our minds as Mets fans, you know, become the signature of the franchise. And I think it, it's almost you know you you take the um, you know the the, the quiet thinking to yourself oh god you know could this possibly happen way of a giant fan might think and the the exultation that comes <laughs> that you might that that might uh, you might associate with a dodger fan and i think those are the moments where without knowing it we're we're, we're sort of channeling our forebears and mm-hmm. uh, that that's what a mets fan becomes and then there are other nights where it's nine nine to one, and you're going to lose nine to two. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. What what I uh, have taken from my Mets fan and from uh, just interacting with Mets fans, um, you know, though there is a lot of anger out there, and especially you know, uh, hidden behind on Twitter, um, uh, you still you know generally see a fan base and, and people who have perspective. They seem to really have perspective. Even when they're down 9-2, to two, they're laughing, making jokes about it, smiling, you know, shaking their head and smiling, but still smiling nonetheless. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, part of it is, you know, what, what doesn't, doesn't kill us makes us stronger, <laughs> so we might as well enjoy the ride. Um, I really hope that someday soon, well, you know, not just for my sake. I mean, listen, I've, I lived through two world champions, including one that I was fully, completely conscious of for, you know, 69. I sort of caught, caught the, the last moments of, of, of the uh, the chase in, in September and then the world playoffs and World Series. But I, uh, th- think about it, Sam. You're, you're a team that hasn't won a World Series now for 28 years, which means that if you're... If you're under the age of 30, you have no recollection of this, of the Mets ever being world champions. And I, I want to be around. <laughs> That's like, you know, listen, I mean, the Giant fans had to go, what, 56 years between world championships, and Pirate fans, even though they, they finally have a good team, are, are, you know, coming up on 35 years without a world championship. So, you know, there's no guarantees. But, you know, just to, to get close and, and be in a pennant race and, and not walk around thinking, oh, God, my team is terrible and be bracing for the, for the next smart remark. Just uh, very briefly, I was uh, visiting my doctor the other day, and he's you know, going through all the, the personal health questions on his questionnaire. And then he looks up and he sees I'm wearing an orange hoodie that says New York in blue across the front. It doesn't say Mets on it, but he just asks, oh, you know, what's that for, the Knicks? And I said, no, that's actually for the Mets. And he goes, oh, oh, boy, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but so so is, this a, is this the first time you're visiting the doctor? No, no, no. He just kind of, you know, he hasn't seen me in a while. And um, <laughs> he just sort of forgets, you know, they see how however many patients. Anyway, and I made some joke, like, you know, it's February, you know, we're, we're uh, you know, haven't lost anything. And he said, so that's good. He said, that's good. It's good that you can laugh about that. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I am so sick of this. <laughs> and he's not, you know, necessarily, uh, you know, some kind of big, you know, Yankees fan or anything. I think it's just a matter of this is who the Mets have become, like, for in this current generation, that, you know, the Mets are sort of this, I don't want to say they're a joke, but they, they sort of elicit that kind of response. And I'm, I'm hoping for the people, God, God bless them, for the, for, for, the, for the younger people who've decided to become a Mets fan, certainly, without benefit of a World Series, without a 69 or an 86, or even, you know, we're now getting to the point where there are people who don't remember 99 or 2000. 
that, that at most maybe they remember 2006, which was you know a glorious year up until the bitter end. Um, you should be rewarded for that, if not, you know, with the ultimate prize, which would be great, but you know, you can't do anything about that necessarily. Uh, at least get good again, and you really hope that they're they're on their way. For, for for the sake of people like that, never mind the fact that I would enjoy it very much. Yeah. Uh, you know, let's turn it around. Let's let's not be behind nine to two in in July and August in a mm-hmm. broad sense. Never mind, you know, any given game. <laughs> exactly, and ironically, you know, it was four Yankee World Championships that made me a Mets fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've heard I've heard that from a few people that they just couldn't they couldn't handle that much success. Uh, some people were, were very good with it, and uh, then again, you know, you, you see, you know, I, I try not to spend too much time thinking about them, but, you know, you, you got to a point with the Yankees where they made the playoffs every year but one for 18 years, and you, and when they start having playoff games, uh, not, not selling them out because, oh, who knows what time they start, and, oh, there was so little warning, you know, after this was 2012, oh, we didn't know when the Tiger game would start, and the Orioles, well, we had to go to a fifth game, too. It's like... These are playoff games. You go yeah. when they say you go. I mean, I understand, you know, the big business of baseball is in is in your pocket, and they and they you know, they they abuse you mentally, and they they give you service charges, and they raise the rates of parking and all of that. But it's a playoff game. Shut up and enjoy it. And you know, since you know, you know, they they won a one World Series in two thousand nine, and and the euphoria from that seemed to last about about ten minutes. And since then, it's just like you know, heavy is the the head that thinks it should wear the crown every year and, and doesn't get to necessarily. Well, we only have a couple minutes left, but I'll leave with the 2014 New York Mets. Uh, you, like you said, you're hoping for the sake of uh, not only yourself, but other fans that they uh, finally turn around. How do you think they will do this year? Um, you know, I want to believe that this is the year they step up and become the very least competitive. And my version of competitive would be, you know, getting to around or over 500 and, and more importantly, not making you think the season is over in July. Um, honestly, without Harvey there, uh, I just don't see it happening. I don't think they've made enough improvements. I do think that there's a few weeks left in spring training, and I can't believe they're going into the season with Ike at first and Tahad at short, and something might happen. But I, I look for marginal improvement, and if you can get Syndergaard up here, you get Wheeler more innings, and then Harvey comes back. And I think I'll begin to dream next year, and should I live so long, I expect big <laughs> things in 2017, which sounds, sounds like a dig, but I actually that's sort of my in my mind, barring any more horrific injuries, uh I, I, I will see the Mets in late September of 2017. Well, Greg, I very much appreciate you coming on and going over the legacy of National League New York baseball, and you're welcome back anytime. My pleasure, Sam. Thank you very much. Absolutely. That's our show, everybody. Have a great Saturday. Take care.